0: Hello, dear friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life, based on the book by Ellen Kardec Heaven and Hell. We are studying the second part of Heaven and Hell, where Ellen Kardec gifted us with numerous spirit reports. <clears throat> to help us understand how life after death, after our big transition, how it looks like. And he also did us a really big service by categorizing those spirit cases and helping us to understand what happy spirits, what kind of life they've lived, what repentant criminal spirits, what kind of a life they lived and what are they expecting or experienced of life during life, after life. And he also has categories like suicide spirits, where we learn of what happened during their lives, and then what was the effect they lived on the spirit side. And the other thing is with suffering spirits. So there's plenty and many categories that help us to understand what happens after we die and from all these spirits who came before us we have the golden opportunity to either learn of what to do to prepare ourselves or we learn of what to avoid so we don't fall into the same pitfalls as the spirits who came before us. So we have been studying spirits that fall under the category of Repentant Criminals and currently And today we will be looking at and studying and understanding further what the lessons are by the spirit called the Castelnaudary Spirit. The Castelnaudary Spirit. If you like, you can follow along. Um, The case starts on page 441. And what you'll see, there is a lot of interesting information in there. It is a rather long case, so we will only go halfways and then continue next week. So the Castelnauteri spirit. Now, before we begin, let us connect. Let us close our eyes if we can. And let us connect with gratitude, with God, beloved Jesus, our guide and model, who so selfishly came to planet Earth to model and teach to us of how to be a perfect human being. And we're also connecting with Mother Mary, who is so lovingly taking care of the most troubled spirits in the spirit world. And we're also connecting with the mentors of Cardiac Radio and the mentors of this group. And we're connecting with gratitude with all the spirits who are here present during our gathering and our own personal mentors and the mentors of our families. And we ask that the good spirits open our hearts and minds to the teachings that will transpire tonight so we can understand them and implement them in our daily lives So, as to prepare ourselves to become better human beings, to prepare ourselves for our grand transition, and to see the current life situation that we are being faced with in a new light. And with this, we humbly ask for permission to start our study session. And so be it. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining. There's Tony. And I see a much larger number, so please say hello. It's so lovely to know who you are and where you're from. And please add to our lesson tonight. Ask questions or give your input. It makes it more fun to have this virtual classroom. Thank you, Tony, for for um, joining. Really appreciate it. All right, so our case, as I said, is the Castellanodary Spirit page 441 in Heaven and Hell by Alan Cardick. In a small house close to Castelnattery, strange noises and various manifestations occurred, leading people to believe it was inhabited by ghosts. Consequently, an exorcism was performed in 1848, but without results. Now take note, an exorcism was performed and no results were achieved. Now that is important because we will revisit that in a minute. The owner, Mr. D had moved into it, into the house and died there suddenly a few years later. His son went in to occupy it right afterwards. And upon entering one of the rooms received a hard slap from an unknown hand. Since he was completely alone at the time, he had no doubt that it had come from an invisible source. And so he decided to abandon the house once and for all. So, this is your typical haunted house. Moreover, there was a local belief that a great crime had been committed there. The spirit who had given the slap was evoked at the Parisian society in 1859 and manifested itself in a violent manner despite all efforts to calm it down. Asked about the matter, St. Louis responded, this is the worst kind of spirit, a real monster. We made him come here, but we have not been able to make him right in spite of all what we have said to him. He has free will, which he has used very badly. So we're talking about a wild monster-like spirit who was living in a house, um, obsessing the house, like a monster house. Is this spirit susceptible to improvement? The question was asked and the answer is, and why not? Aren't they all, this one as well as all others? And this is important to pause for just a second to remind us that nobody's ever stuck in any situation or position. There is no such thing as a place of hell where spirits go and will stay there indefinitely. The law of progress dictates that eventually we all will progress, progress. And the speed of our progress depends on how good a student we are, both, on this side as well as on the spirit side. So we can, with our free will, determine how our lives look like and will look like and how fast we will ascend. But no spirit will ever be left behind or get stuck. So this is just important to bring to the forefront of our conscience. Although some difficulties are to be expected for this spirit, wretched as he is, Exchanging good for evil will end up touching his heart. So once he will realize that the path of the good is the right path and he will drop the path of evil, ignorance, that's when his transition will begin. It will touch his heart. First pray for him and then evoke him within a month was the recommendation. You will see that a big transformation will have taken place in him. Later, when we awoke him again, the spirit showed himself to be gentler and little by little became more submissive and repentant. How beautiful. Now, the key word in this paragraph is repentant. Why is that? But before we go there, I want to see more friends. Sylvia, hello, dear friend. Thanks so much for joining. What a pleasure. What an honor to have you. And there is Gabriel Inacio. friend. Thanks for joining. All right, so repentance. So he seemed in this second invocation, he seemed more gentle, a little more humble, and because he was repentant. So why would that be? Well, repentance, there's actually three steps for our recuperation, for our reconciliation, for our reparation. The first step is usually repentance. Repentance is opening our hearts. It has to come with humility because in order for us to be able to repent, we will need to admit we have done wrong. And if we're filled with pride, pumped up with pride, we can't admit that we've done wrong. We're always right, right? (laughs) So that is the first step, repentance. It usually comes from the heart and it softens us. Repentance is something where we admit before God we've done wrong. It happened in Nosolar, Solar, City, it's also called in English, where Andre Luis, who was in the umbral, labeled a suicide, finally reached a point where he prayed fervently from the heart. He was seeing that his ways were not correct, and that at that very moment, the spirits on high rescued him. So it is usually those moments when we humble ourselves and we give up all of our own programming and our pride and selfishness when things shift and the spirits, the benevolent spirits, come to the rescue. So repentance is the first step. The second step is expiation. Now, expiation is when we physically, spiritually, mentally experience some pain. It very often happens in a new life. Where, for example, we're born with some certain defect, or we're encountering very difficult relationships, or we're really poor, or have so much money, which is actually a trial as well. So, expiation constitutes where we actually, after we've repented, after we've seen our wrong ways, our ignorance, now, due to the law of cause and effect, we will have to make up for it. We have to somehow experience live through a form of pain and then there's the step of of um reparation now reparation is when we after repentance realize we've done something wrong and then ideally we go to the person if it's in this lifetime and apologize or we forgive or we, we we fulfill the duty we have neglected to fulfill so reparation is to undo, to to pick up the duty that we have omitted, fulfilling and fulfill it, and ideally we do it in this lifetime, because we know with all we've studied, we'll just drag it along into the afterlife, and then we'll drag it along into the next life. So this is the moment to do it, friends. Right? So um, let us. So if you want to go to page one hundred twenty-two in Heaven and Hell, you can actually read the whole penal code. And it is much further, it is further uh, elaborated on those steps and what they mean and where they, how they look like. So let us continue. So he was more submissive and more repentant. He became more humble. His heart started to open. Subsequent explanations by the spirit himself and other spirits revealed that he had begun living in the house in 1608. So from 1608, till 1848, so that's like 250 years almost. That's a long time. Can we imagine that? To live in a house for that much time, strapped to something that happened, which we're gonna learn what it was? It can happen to us. So let's see, so he was there for 250 years. There in this house, what did he do? Why did he spend that much time in the house? He murdered his brother out of a suspicion of jealous rivalry, stabbing him in the throat while he slept. Oh my, now we're not surprised anymore, right? And then on top of it, some years later, he murdered the one he had made his wife after his brother's death. So he committed two murders in the house. He himself had died in 1659 at the age of 80 without having answered for his crimes, which had aroused little attention during that tumultuous time. So let us pause because how can it be, we're probably asking, I'm asking myself, how can it be that a man can commit two murders and not be found out? Well, I was actually, I don't, have a TV and I I don't have it, but I have clients who have TVs and sometimes I've, I've watched the Dr. Oz show and I was stunned to find out on Tuesdays and Thursdays he does some forensic show where he looks at cases where the murderers and the abductors were never found out, where crimes were never solved. It's mind boggling to see how many crimes are not being found out on this planet, on planet Earth? Yes, so it still even happens today, which was surprising to me. So let us look at this. So divine, um, um, justice, human justice, didn't find out about it. What is justice? Let us look at this for a moment to take this apart. How this can be, and and the differences. So we have justice, right? Just, just. Justice. So what is justice? Do you remember that? We've gone over it before. How is justice defined by the spirits on high in the spirits book? Well, the spirits are saying, justice is respecting the rights of everybody, of everyone. Respecting the rights of everyone is justice. Now we're wondering, How does that look like in everyday life, right? How do we respect the rights of everyone? Well, there's two determining factors for those rights. There's two factors, there's two different ways that determine, that regulate those rights. Because it's not a free for all, obviously. So there's two different parts. What are they? There is A, the human law the human laws, and B, God's laws, the divine laws. So we have two determining factors for us to practice true justice, which means respecting the rights of everybody. So we know that the human laws are imperfect. They're imperfect even if they're caught every single crime like this murder. Our laws are still imperfect. Why is that? Because we are imperfect. Our laws only represent are only representative of where we are in our own moral intellectual stage. So when we look back 2000 years ago or maybe even 250 years ago, the laws were very different from today. So we're learning and accordingly our laws keep changing. So then There's the Divine Laws. Now the Divine Laws are immutable in contrast to the Human Laws. And the Divine Laws express true justice. And where are the Divine Laws written? Can we find them in some library or on some YouTube? Well, we do have them explained in the the third part of the Spirits book. But ultimately, they're written nowhere. They're in our consciousness, in our conscience. They're in our conscience, in our hearts. So if we listen and we tune in, we know what's right or wrong. We just need to be honest. We need to tune into ourselves and listen to our hearts and listen to our conscience. So how do we best practice? How do we best practice divine justice? How do we best Respect the rights of everybody. We do that by desiring for others what we desire for our own selves. And that is the litmus test, so to speak. If we run life through that filter, we're on a pretty good road. We're doing it. Now, it's easier said than done. Because if we really use that rule, the divine law, on that level... We'll see, it's, it's gonna be challenging, I'm sure. Let me see, Tony says the golden rule. Exactly, Tony, you're absolutely right. Desiring for others what we would desire for our own selves. And that humbles us, and that gets us out of our selfish and prideful mode, which is really the utmost of our goals. Because that is something we're suffering from, all of us are suffering from on this planet. So the divine laws will always catch up with us. So this guy murdered two people in the house and human law, they didn't find him, but that doesn't mean anything. And that is something that we can really keep in our own minds Minds when we see crimes happening today and then the culprits are not being found or not being um, convicted. I mean, there's so many, even with all the sexual um, uh, crimes that have happened, have come up, come up and out lately. And then some of the more rich and famous people maybe don't get what we think would be justified in terms of a um, prison sentence, so-called punishment. But we can trust always. We can rest assured that the divine laws will catch up with those people. We don't have to worry at all. We never have to worry. Law of cause and effect will, will create justice at the end of the day. And the same happened with our friends here. Because when we commit a crime, and like this guy here in our case, the Castanotary case, he committed a crime, what happened? It bound him to the place of the crime. It is the affinity to the crime scene, so to speak. And that's even when, when we see, um, when we listen to Dr. Oz, same thing. people often return exactly to the crime scene. It's their conscience, I'm convinced. So, all right, so we never have to worry. We don't have to be the judges. We don't have to take ju- um, justice into our own hands. It's all taken care of by God. Doesn't that feel good? It's like one cross we don't have to carry. But what we do need to focus on is living by the golden rule is desiring for others what we would desire for ourselves so that we're not going to live the consequences of our wrongdoings as much anymore it, so that we don't put painful seeds into our beautiful garden of eternity so let us go back to our, our friend here so um, he wasn't found out It is atro- it is atrocious for okay wait A seeing medium who attended the first evocation saw him as he was being compelled to write. So this was his evocation. He shook the medium's arm violently. He had a dreadful appearance, wearing a blood-soaked shirt and holding a dagger. Imagine for 250 years. So he was holding on to that moment of his crime. Please be so kind as to describe the spirit's type of torment. St. Louis is being asked. So then, here's the description. This spirit, is, it is atrocious for him. He has been, has been condemned to live in the house where he committed his crimes. They are continually before him and he cannot think about anything else. Thus, he believes he's condemned to such torture forever. He consistently sees himself at the times when he committed the crimes. All other memories have been taken from him and all communication with other spirits prescribed. While on earth, he cannot be anywhere but in that house. And if he goes into space, he's enveloped in solitude and darkness. <gasps> Horror show, right? So this is, and this is what's so beautiful about what Alan Carter gifted us with. He is describing the life, life after, after life of a murderer who wasn't found out, who hasn't done any undoing of his crime yet, who hadn't even up until this moment found repentance. This is what happens. So let us continue. Is there any way to dislodge him from the house? If so, what would it be? Very good question, right? We're curious too. What could dislodge the spirit from this house? The answer is, when people want to break free of our obsessors, Now, this is not only for getting rid of a spirit in a house, an obsessive spirit of a house, but it's also true for us, for our obsessors, our friends' obsessors, our children's obsessors, our spouses, our family members' obsessors. Well, let us look at obsession a little bit more. So we learned that prayer will really do good. But let us go a little bit deeper. When we go to the Gospel according to Spiritus, and I invite you to go along if you like. I have the good old-fashioned book here. It's chapter 28, page 452, all the way at the end. And you might remember that there is a collection of Spiritus prayers. It is the last section of the Gospel. And in that section of spiritual prayers is one one chapter on obsession. It's really the last chapter of the gospel. Can you believe it? So here it is. Now, let us go into this for a moment. Obsession is the persistent action that an evil spirit exerts upon an individual. But we also know upon a house, different spaces, right? It could be graveyards. But right now... He is speaking about an individual and it doesn't matter what it is, okay? So it's the persistent evil expression, um, the persistent evil action of a spirit upon an individual. Evil meaning ignorant. It presents very distinct characteristics from a simple moral influence without any perceivable outward signs to the complete disturbance of the organism and mental faculties. So there is very different gradations of obsessions. Simple obsession is just that little voice that says, oh, you don't have to get up this morning. Oh, no, you don't have to go to the spiritual Center. It's Sunday morning, you can sleep. For example, right? To a complete disturbance of the organism. Often people who hear voices, I remember from New York City, there were a lot of People who didn't have a home, who are walking, roaming the streets, screaming out, having conversations. And that is most likely a form of obsession. Schizophrenia may be obsession. So it can take really dire um, forms. So let us see. Um, evil spirits swarm all around the earth. So this is something for us to remember evil spirits swarm all around the earth as a result of the low degree of moral involvement of its inhabitants. And they're also around us. Now, we can do something about that. The more we work on our inner transformation, the more we're charitable and do the good, the more we feel the good, the more we visualize the good, the more we express the good in our words and our actions, the more, due to the law of affinity, that we attract benevolent, higher spirits. However, if we indulge in, in a lot of parties and, and um, drinking and substance abuse or sexual abuse, of course we're attracting the same spirits because we have to have a bifocal lens to life. We live on, in two realms, we live here on Earth where we have our affinities, and we have our affinities in the spirit world. So that's something to remember. We're never alone. doesn't matter what we do, even if we're just lying peacefully in bed, our thoughts, if they're still going, that's what we're attracting, whatever our our thoughts go. So then they say, and I'm not reading the whole thing, so I'm inviting you to read the whole chapter. I'm just picking out a few highlights. Justice, illness. Illnesses are the result of physical imperfections that render the body accessible to pernicious exterior influences, and obsession is always the result of a moral imperfection that exposes the body to an evil spirit. So this is really interesting. So illness is a physical imperfection. It's the so-called bioterrain. I just listened to a report um, linked to COVID nineteen that um in order to get sick the by our inner bioterrain our physical situation needs to be available needs to be um open to the exterior influence of the virus if for example we're extremely imbalanced in Im- imbalance physically let's say very alkaline it's always being said that you know the more alkaline our bodies are the less we are Available, our bioterrain is such that a virus can't enter into. So that is really important for us to realize we can protect ourselves from viruses, and by, by protecting ourselves from illness in general and this virus in particular, we're also helping others. It's a charitable act because if we don't contract it, we will help others not to contract it right it's called responsibility so the virus serves us in a very beautiful way it actually shows us that taking care of our health is not only a selfish act but it's actually helping our society our friends our family members our co-workers the whole planet we're in this together And we can do our share. It's a charitable act to stay healthy. And apart from keeping our bodies healthy, of course, we can do the social isolation as well. So that is something that we are invited to do, to think beyond our own selves and seeing really literally how we impact others. So now we're learning that the same happens with obsessions. Only in this case it is the moral imperfections that create the bioterrain for us to open the doors to for the attraction of lower level downright evil very ignorant spirits. So to prevent illnesses one strengthens the body as we just said to avert obsessions one must strengthen the soul. Very simple, right? It is so clear how Alan Kardec explains it to us. Hence, for obsessed persons, the necessity to work for their own betterment, their own Im- more moral improvement, which is often quite enough to free them from their obsessor without the help of other persons. You see, friends? This is how we create moral health. And moral health and physical health, they also work together. Because if we're morally unhealthy, we're most likely also physically unhealthy. It's, it's all connected. So um, working on in our inner transformation, that helps us to free ourselves from our obsessors. And we're not only freeing ourselves from this obsessor, which is more of a selfish focus, but we're also helping the obsessor. Because the obsessor isn't being served by sticking to us or to this old house. No, because that prevents them from, from um, progressing. So we're, it's also a charitable act. We're helping also the obsessor. It's so beautiful. So by our own inner transformation, by becoming a better person, more charitable, more indulgent, more benevolent, more forgiving, it's also an act of charity. We're helping not only our neighbors here on the physical plane, but also in the spirit life, in the spiritual plane. Isn't that beautiful? There's no losing with working on our inner transformation ever. So, let's see. So, however, such help becomes necessary. So help to release the obsessors, the obsessors, there is a place for that, that help is necessary. When the obsession degenerates into subjugation and possession, because then patients sometimes lose their willpower and their free will. So this is when the obsessions become so, so severe that the patient, the individual, doesn't have a free will anymore because now their free will has become the obsessor's free will. Obsession is nearly always the result of vengeance carried out by a spirit and most often originates in the relationship that the obsessed person had with the spirit in a previous existence. So, forgiveness. It is what we said earlier, to repent, to recognize first in front of our own conscience, between us and God, that we've made a mistake. We all make them, we all make them daily. And how do we best get to know ourselves? Well, every night we do the nightly review. That's a good baseline for us to look at our everyday lives and see where we need to make amends. And that is the reparation work. And with that comes forgiveness. So that is super important for us to help our obsessors and to help ourselves to rid ourselves of our obsessors. There's something else that just came to mind. Oh, we also need to be careful that we don't become obsessors. So it's not just like we are the obsessed, that we are the so-called victims, which we never are, because there's a reason, as we learn here, it originates in the relationships that the obsessed person had with the spirit and vice versa, with us. But we need to also be careful that we don't become obsessors of others. And we can do that as we're sitting right here. If I have constant negative thoughts about a person or a situation put together, let's say a person, I'm starting to become the obsessor. And we don't want to be there. So let us go for a moment to chapter 10 in the gospel. Chapter 10, number 6. See, And that is on page, we don't know, what page is that on? Page 171. Because this is linked. Page 171, which is Blessed Are the Merciful, which explains to us further the importance of reconciling with our adversaries. And we need to do that so we don't form, open ourselves up for obsessions or we become the obsessors. That is part of our moral transformation that helps us to avoid obsessions. So, Blessed are the Merciful, page 171, if you like to follow along. And Alan Kardec, I think it's Alan Kardec, let me double check. Yes, he says, and we're just picking highlights out, in the practice of forgiveness and the good in general, there is more than a moral effect. There is also a physical effect. Ah, that's interesting. We know that death does not free us from our enemies, and we've seen that. We've seen it in several cases, and now we see it in our Castelnau case. Death does not free us from our enemies. We take them with us. In the hatred, vengeful spirits often pursue beyond the grave those against whom they harbor rancor. And we don't want to be those either, right? We're saying it over and over again. Obsessed and possessed persons are therefore almost always victims of a prior revenge, which they're probably caused by their conduct. I personally would like to exchange the word victim with the effect, it's the effect of a prior revenge, because we're never victims the law of cause and effect very clearly shows to us that we always are responsible for everything in our lives. We, are, we have free will, we're co-creators. We plant the seeds and then we have to reap the harvest. So I know this book was written 150 some years ago and back then maybe that word didn't ring the way it rings today, but we're not victims of any, of any prior revenge. It is something that we co-created. God allows this in as an effect of the evil those people have committed. So this obsession is allowed under under God because it falls under the law of cause and effect. So in order to avoid obsessions, we're putting good seeds into our gardens today. We're kind, we're benevolent, indulgent, and forgiving, and we're making up for the wrongs we've committed. Um, Let's see. Um, So God allows this as an effect of the evil they committed, or if they did not commit it, then for having lacked indulgence and charity by refusing to forgive. That's why forgiveness is so important. Consequently, from the point of view of one's future peace of mind, It is important to repair as quickly as possible the wrongs one has committed against one's neighbor and to forgive one's enemies in order to eliminate before death all motives of dissension and all causes based on ulterior animosity. So what is the most important thing for us to avoid obsessions and to work on our inner transformation and to stay healthy? It is... To forgive and to make up for our wrongs to reconcile with our adversaries to not hold on to anything because we know it's not going away it's an illusion it's gonna follow us into our afterlife and into our next life and maybe from lifetime to lifetime and in this case with our guy here 250 years he was He was caught in that house in absolute sheer terror with a blood-drained shirt and a dagger in his hands. So let us go back to um, the chapter, let's see, 453. So we're going back to obsession at the end of the book. So he says, by means of an action identical to that of a healing medium in cases of illnesses... It is necessary to expel the evil fluid with the aid of a better fluid that somehow produces a reactive effect. This is the mechanical action, but it's not enough. So we have the obsession, that's just a simple obsession, where through our own inner transformation and in prayer, we help to the obsessor to move on. But there is cases where it's much stronger, the obsession, subjugation and possessions, where outside help is needed and there they say that it's the action of expelling the evil fluid with the aid of a better fluid. So one replaces the other. It's like neuroscience who has found out that for us to exchange one thought, a negative thought, with, to get rid of that, we have to bring in a positive thought and that is why affirmations are so powerful. The minute of fearful thought, particularly these days, with what the COVID-19 and so forth, we're all kind of faced with a new challenge. We may be cooped up in our houses. We may not have the same entertainment quality or work, or our children are not in school, whatever the situation is. And we're running fear. We're running fear of getting sick. We're running fear of finding out of resources, of having enough money if we lose our jobs. Right now, it is extremely important for us to keep positive and affirmations will help us with that because one thought, negative thought is replaced by a positive thought and the same happens here with obsessions that need help. So one fluid, so called ignorant fluid will be pushed out and replaced by a better fluid. So that's kind of like through magnetization. Like similar, we can imagine like with passes, so healing mediumship. But this might not always be enough. It is also and especially necessary to act upon the intelligent being. So the obsessor is a spirit, which is the intelligent principle of the universe. So the obsessor needs to also be dealt with. So as he says, it is also especially necessary to act upon the intelligent being who must be addressed with authority, and this authority derives only from moral ascendancy. So whoever communicates with this obsessor, and we do it in rescue work, needs to have a certain moral ascendancy over that spirit so that they can talk with authority and love with the obsessors, with The ignorant spirits. And there is more. To ensure liberation now, the wicked spirit must be led to renounce its evil intentions. With the help of ably directed instructions and personal evocations made with its moral education in mind, it is necessary to awaken in it repentance, here we go again, and the desire to do the good. So this really describes our rescue work, where then the spirit is being evoked and is being communicated with, with loving kindness, with instructions, turning them towards the good. So there's many different steps involved, dear friends. So obsession is not an easy thing. And the last sentence of this chapter before he goes into two... Three different two or three different prayers so this is really we can pray we need to pray he says in all cases of obsession now this is the most important in all cases of obsession prayer is the most powerful aid for acting upon the obsessive spirit prayer is the most important thing so if we detect obsessive forces in us prayer and our moral transformation we detect obsessive forces in others, prayer is really important. The gospel gives us several sample prayers to pray for the obsessed. So this is a wonderful thing. It is so helpful. And why prayer? Why do we think prayer is so important? Well, prayer is really a um it's an invocation to call in the good spirits. It inspires good thoughts in us. It elevates our minds and connects us with God and the spirits on high. And our prayers, if they come from the heart and are fervent and really coming from the heart, and that's why it is important or it's more powerful, let's put it this way, to pray to just have a conversation with God rather than having prescribed prayers, um, they will always be answered. Ask and you shall receive. Right? Jesus taught us that. They give us moral strength, even if sometimes certain challenges cannot be taken away, because they are the effect of causes that we created. Law of cause and effect, and we will have to go through them. Then expiation. We can still, we always receive support from the spirits. Always there is support. And we help to avert evil spirits, divert evil spirits, ignorant spirits, meaning obsesses. want to go to Heaven and Hell, page 445. And that is, let's see. for a moment, yes so um, there is one thing we need to um, 445 okay don't want to make a mistake, it's the same case here is something that we learn prayer is profitable only for the spirit who repents why is that? so if we pray for obsessors it's never wrong to pray but it's actually only really profitable when the spirit is ready to repent for those who out of pride revolt against God and persist in error by exacerbating it prayer can do nothing nor will it do anything until one day a spark of repentance begins to manifest in them so this is interesting isn't it prayer relieves only those who are not completely hardened but in the meantime Even if we pray for, let's say, I have an obsessor who is a hardened spirit, who is not ready to repent, who holds incredible amount of rancor towards me because of something I did to them in their perceptions in a previous incarnation, I can still pray because my prayer for this obsessor may help them to find repentance Quicker. And it will also help me because I am connecting more and more, turning the mirror of my soul towards God. And that will help me too in my inner transformation. So prayer is something that is never ill-placed. It is always the correct thing. So um, we looked, when we read, when we paused, before we paused, remember, the Spirit said... Um, They prefer that they will pry. Okay, I'm going to go back to to remember, for us to remember. When people want to break free of, of obsessive spirits like this one, it is easy to do so by praying for them, which is precisely what people so often fail to do. So now we know that, right? They prefer to try and scare these obsessive spirits away with exorcism, which for such spirits is a source of great entertainment. Now let us look at that. How can it be that that would be not, why would that not work? Page 456. Let's see. Hmm. I think I wrote down the wrong, um, I think I wrote down the wrong page. Oh, maybe it's in the, Six. I'm sorry guys I am for a moment have a moment of confusion it happens 400 yes okay we found it it's pretty much at the very very end of the spirits of the of the gospel according to spiritism so why would exorcism not work and why would it be an entertainment for them there's a comment. At the end of the spirit of the of the gospel, at the end of the chapter on obsession, it says: the healing of grave obsessions demands much patience, perseverance, and devotion. It also demands tact and skill to lead frequently extremely perverse, hardened, and cunning spirits to the good, because there are those who are rebellious to the highest degree. In most cases, one must proceed according to the circumstances. But whatever may be the character of the spirit, it is a sure fact that nothing can be obtained by violence or threat. Remember, they were trying to curse, uh, to, to scare the spirit, the obsessor away. It's very clear. It cannot be done with any threat. All influence lies in one's moral ascendancy. So we need to improve our own moral development, our own inner transformation in order to be able to talk to them gently and kindly and lovingly and charitably to show them that their ways are wrong. And that can only be done through moral ascendancy, isn't that so brilliant? It's so important to know, so it cannot be done by scaring them away. One other truth also proven by experience as well as by logic is, The complete ineffectiveness of exorcism. Formulas, sacramental words, amulets, talismans, outward practices or any material symbol. So now we know, right friends? Exorcism does not help. Even though they have a movie and we've heard it so many times that that some groups are practicing that. It doesn't do any good. It's moral ascendancy, it's prayer. It is addressing them kindly and lovingly. So friends, let us let us take a pause here for today because we have so much more to cover. It is a lengthy case very rich for us with information we can learn from. But let us end on this um, note of obsession where well, we now learn new techniques of how to deal with our obsessors and the obsessors of those who we know, and how to prevent ourselves from becoming an obsessor. And to realize that both illness as well as obsession is opening, in the case of obsession, our moral terrain, bio-terrain, we open it up to, to obsessors, to ignorant spirits due to the law of affinity the law of cause and effect so we have it in our control to not create any obsesses to not allow any in by always forgiving by always making up for our wrongs for repenting and we've learned that to prevent ourselves from getting sick we need to take care of our physical health. And that is creating a bioterrain, a physical bioterrain that does not allow viruses or any illnesses in. And by doing that, both on the moral end as well as the physical end, we're also working charitably. Because what we do to ourselves, we also do to others automatically. And we see it so beautifully, thanks to this virus, how our own actions ripple out into the world and affect others. So dear friends, let us close our eyes if we can and let us feel our feet on the ground connected to Mother Earth and let us connect to God and Jesus, Mother Mary and the beautiful spirits on high who have brought these illuminating teachings to us. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for understanding obsession better, for understanding how we can stay healthy both physically as well as morally and that staying healthy both physically as well as morally is an act of charity. We've also learned and reminded ourselves of the importance of prayer to turn the mirror of our souls towards God and reflect the God consciousness, the God light back into our own being. And from there, the light will ripple out. We let our light shine, helping others to ignite theirs. Thank you for Cardiac Video and the mentors for allowing us this beautiful platform where we can meet in spite of social isolation We have the capacity to unite in our intercontinental classrooms. And with this, we ask for permission to close tonight's study session, and so be it. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining. Stay healthy, protect yourselves, and let us always pray and do the good. And with this, Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Beth, for joining us. Thank you, Lisa Tellis, Gabriel Inacio, Celia Otero, and some others. Thank you, friends. Much love, and so God willing, we'll meet again in one week, same place, same time. God bless you.